Welcome, guys. We're back. Catholic Sportsman Show podcast is back this week and for the month of December. And uh, glad to see you guys here. And we have a special guest tonight. Um, before we begin, I just want to let our viewers and any new listeners, uh, listeners, because we are a podcast, if you're wondering how to find us, uh, you can find the show, Catholic Sportsman Podcast on Apple Podcasts, okay? You can subscribe and like us and give us a review. You also can find us on soundcloud.com, podbean.com, YouTube, and soon to be on Google Podcasts. So I think we're getting branching out there and getting more places to find our podcast. So tonight, uh, what I'd like to do, oh, before we do that, let, I wanna let you guys know, uh, or our viewers or listeners, um, we have a little, some people say, well, what are you about? Well, let me give you our mission statement. Where the Catholic Sportsman Podcast Show is where our love for sports intersects with our faith, values, and fellowship in the world of Catholic athletics and athletes. There we go. Okay. All right. All right. Good, Jeff. And uh, uh, first, I want to introduce our co-host of the show is uh, on our uh, weekly, monthly basis, Mr. Paul Michelini. How are you tonight, Paul? Good, Jeff. Good to see you. Nice to see you. Good. And in from our uh, uh, Fullerton area in Orange County, California, in the Diocese of Orange, Mr. Randy Leah. How are you tonight, Randy? I'm good, Jeff and Paul. Good. How, are you? Right. How are you guys? Good, good, good to, to be here. You. Good to see you. Yep. Back, back in uh, pseudo-quarantine again here in California, but... Uh, uh, it makes it a good opportunity to stay in our homes and put a new show out. So, Paul, would you like to go ahead and introduce our guest tonight and then maybe open us up with a prayer? Yeah, we have our, our guest tonight, Tyler Rowley, and uh, we're going to do a deeper bio, but we'll start off with prayer at the beginning here. So, in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Dear Lord, we just ask you to be with us in our podcast tonight and just help prepare our hearts for the coming of the baby Jesus as we continue to celebrate Advent. And in all things, we ask Our Lady to intercede for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of Mother God, God, pray, pray for, for us sinners. sinners. Now, now the hour, hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Saint Sebastian, patron saint of athletes. Pray, pray for, for us. Pray for us. And blessed Carlo Acutis, our technical uh, expert on our show. Pray, 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 for, for, pray us. for us. All right. Name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So Tyler, Amen. welcome to our show. We uh, oh, yeah. happy to have you. Thanks, Paul, Jeff, Randy. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Good awesome. to have you. Yeah, thank you. So, so Tyler uh, Rowley, he is um, he is married, and he has his wife is named Nicole, and they have three children, and they live in uh, Rhode Island. And Tyler is currently the president of Servants of Christ for Life, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And uh, he's also um, the author um, of a book that he just came out with, which we'll discuss more in detail, called uh, Because of Our Fathers, 23 Catholics Tell How Their fa their Fathers Led Them to Christ. And I 
like the number 23 that has big sports connotations. That was a good good pick. There. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. So um, like like Jeff said, Tyler, we're we're all about the intersection of our of sports. We love sports and our, our Catholic faith, which is the most important thing for us. And we just want to at least share a little bit about your background and, and how your faith is, has intersected with sports and as we start off here tonight. Sure. Um, sports has, uh, it's, it's hard to overstate um, the impact and the, the lessons that I've taken um, from football, baseball, and basketball. Those are the three sports that I, that I played growing up. And I talked about this recently um, in an article from the National Catholic Register, but I talk about um, this this particular playing youth football. Um, I was around 12 or 13 years old, and and we had we had an intense football program growing up. I mean, it was it was just as intense as college football, um, and maybe even more so because you're not you know your mind's almost not even ready for for the intensity of grown men, you know, yelling at you like this and the hitting, you know, the constant hitting drills and the wind sprints. But there was a moment when I was 12 or 13, and I probably had several moments like this, but sort of how memories work. It's always kind of one that sticks out and sort of represents the other, the other memories you have as a child. Uh, but it was like any other practice where it's, you know, it's freezing cold and, you know, probably the beginning of December, late November, and we're just, you know, the whole team is running wind sprints across this this baseball field like we always. And I just specifically remember the thought that this this means more than just football conditioning. Like the the pain that I'm feeling in my legs and the the pain that I'm, I have in trying to keep up with the you know the breaths that I need to to endure this this workout is 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 difficult and it hurts but it's there's something more that i'm getting out of this if i endure it and if i get through it and if i endure it and get through it well you know and well meaning um you know just constantly you know giving my best and as a 13 year old i don't know if i could process exactly what that was but it was you know looking back on it you know this is sort of a, a young kid's sort of um, cross that you know his 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 understanding of of suffering and his understanding of the cross of Christ kind of kind of coming to coming to fruition in him, and and I and I, I just I just always look back on that as this sort of taste um, of what it of the how much you can merit in your life if you if you accept suffering and endure it gracefully and I probably wasn't you know enduring it with intentional you know Christian grace back then um, but you know like anything these, these, as a child these are the seeds of your understanding um, and I really think that problems we have today with conveying the faith to kids is that mm -hmm. there's so little suffering that you know especially in this country that kids sort of go through in a in a in a in a in a physical way you know in, in in sort of a controlled environment where they can sort of understand that suffering leads to endurance and we actually can rejoice in our sufferings and the sufferings can produce hope and character in us um so that was always that that's kind of where i always start when i talk about sports and and growing up in my house i grew up with three brothers we all played sports 
three of us played college football. And in a lot of ways, we, we all sort of found our identity, not just in sports, but in how successful you were in sports. And we, you know, we were quite good at, at those three sports growing up, football, baseball, and basketball. And, you know, one of one guy, you know, one of us made the all-star team. The other one had to make the all-star team. You know, we, we, who, who, you know, who won the most state championships, who won the most games, who, who was helping the most. About, it was almost like your identity was really found in our household and winning, like not even just how good you are, but how good you are at winning. And then, which is a good thing, but, you know, you get older and you start sort of asking more important questions like, you know, this has been really important to me. Sports has been really important and winning has been extremely important. And I've sacrificed so much for that. But is, is that really, you know, if you use your reason, is that really what life is about? And is that the most important thing that I can accomplish? And I think for, for myself and my brothers, we started to sort of ask those questions together you know not you know not in one day but over time you know we we as thinkers and people who are concerned with you know we started to ask questions like well what is what is the most important form of victory you know because you know could it really be winning a state championship in high school football or is there another type of victory that's more important and you know you start you know the more you peel back the layer on those types of Ultimately, you get to the ultimate purpose in life, which is you were created by God and how you play the game of life and how you are viewed in the eyes of God is the ultimate game, is the ultimate victory that, that, you, can, um, that you can accomplish. And in that and, that, and that goes back to what I was talking about, about those wind sprints, you know, it, it's not just how and how do you win that game as a, as a Christian? You 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 sometimes you have to suffer like suffering is a part of life no one you know takes it on uh, willfully but the nature of life is that it's going to find you and you're going to you're going to have to endure uh very unpleasant things in life and you're going to have to suffer and just like those wind sprints you know how are you going to endure suffering and and you know redemptive suffering is is such a beautiful teaching that we have in the church that that how you how you take on and how you react to and how you get through the sufferings that life gives you actually merits for you the hope and the character and the graces of Jesus Christ and, and the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's absolutely sort of, you know, you can't, it's hard to put it fully into words, but if you've been there and and you've you've kind of come to this, this moment where all of a sudden, you know, looking at a crucifix, you know, you understand that that is the image of a victorious person, you know, a crucified man. Um, then all this that you've heard in life sort of comes into picture, you know, comes into a clear picture. Um, yeah, that was good. I mean, in your opening. You talked about suffering, and you talked about when you were playing football and basketball and baseball. Do you remember finding any similarities with your discipline with staying physically fit to maintaining a disciplined spiritual life? And does suffering play a role both physically and spiritually? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean the yeah the answer is 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 definitely yes. Um, you know there was if you if you play college if you you get to the the ranks of college football and there is there is such a demand on the body. I mean almost to an extent where you, I you know today I, I you know you have to wonder um, you know was all of that suffering worth it you know that 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 comes into um your purview like you look back on it and you say was that like all that all that stuff that i was doing to my body was that was that worth what i was doing and i think there actually is a point in which the answer to that question could clearly be no i mean there there there's there is a moral conversation that should be had and maybe you guys had it on the show of of at what point is the is the physical ramifications of you know these athletes later in life it, it does it sort of become unethical um i bring i bring that up you know as you're as you're going through you know a season or a career as a young person as you know as, as, as someone who's having success in sports that stuff doesn't you know come into play you you really need you know the guidance of people that are older than you to sort of know when enough enough is enough you, you know yeah. Um, yeah. so i mean i feel you know like i i'm sitting here right now in this chair and i'm like sitting a certain way because you know uh, you know you used to put 500 pounds of of weight on my back doing doing squats and deadlifts and you know that just hurts my back even thinking about it now but the but to when you're going through that you know what you know when you're up early in the morning and you're going through that i mean that goes back to what i was saying about you know, this, and when I was in college, I had more of this sort of Catholic understanding of, of taking on that suffering. And I, and I really, in a lot of ways, I was, I felt like by the time I was in college, I was sort of playing with a purpose that was a little bit heightened to, to some of my teammates. And that was really my competitive edge. You know, I was playing a lot, in a lot of ways, I was out physical by a lot of the guys that I was, I was playing with, but I had such an appreciation um, what, what suffering ultimately could mean to me that and if you, and if you ask my teammates, like, you know, they'll, they'll tell you that, you know, you know, Tyler was someone who sort of was always, you know, going, going a hundred percent, um, was always kind of, you know, in the weight room, trying as hard as he could. And, and practice has always meant a little bit more to me than maybe most people. And it's because that it had, you have that sort of Christian mentality that, every single thing that you do in life is meaningful is meaningful because at every moment you're you are able to prove something to the god who created you and every single thing has purpose there's no sort of moments in life that are dull and, and yeah there's no wasted moments and i talk about that actually in, in an article in that same article with trent i say you know he, he talks about you know what um what, what, i don't remember the specific question but the the point that i was getting at was um you know, as a as a Catholic, I was talking about the future, and I said, you know, the future for a Catholic is always interesting, um, because there's always, literally, every second of the day, is this sort of test, and this gets back to what I was saying about, you know, life is sort of a game. You know, it's a game that God God is using and, and testing you, and at every moment, at every second, um, you know, is a moment for you to prove yourself to Him. 
Well, thanks for sharing that. Well, um, I, I have to ask now. I believe you were a running back, right? When you were in, uh, uh, was it in Brown University? Running back, yeah, all through youth sports, high school, oh. and then at, at, at Brown, I was a running back. Yep. So I would venture to say you put yourself in a position as far as a player position to probably take on the most amount of a physical, uh, uh, you know, punishment that one could do. But uh, I I think I remember reading uh, also in the article, you, there was kind of a metaphor of the running back and following a running back. Can you, can you, do you remember that? Could you share that? Well, again? I, so I played a, a tailback my whole life until I got to Brown where I played fullback. And I'll mm. tell you that tailback is a lot more fun than playing fullback. <laughs> <laughs> um, no this, this, I mean, this actually gets to, you know, Randy's question too. I mean, I, you know, I played tailback my whole life and a lot of the joy that you experience in sports, uh, I experienced in sports up until college was, you know, I was the center of attention and I got the ball and I got the yards and I got the right. touchdowns. And then I came down and I was a, I was a fullback and you know, I wasn't as fast as, as the other tailbacks. I was put in a position that, you know, was better for the team. And so I think, you know, the way that I was able to accept that was, had a lot to do with my faith and having this, this bigger, understanding of what football was for me you know and football and it from you know the time of high school football was always something more than a sport it was it really was a spiritual exercise and if it meant sacrificing you know whatever for the team um that's what you were supposed to do and that meant obedience to the coaches um you know is, is a is a good practice for obedience to god um and, you know, sacrifice of yourself if you have to play a position that you don't want to play. Um, so that, that was actually a very hard thing to endure. I mean, it just becomes a totally different game, um, a different enjoyment to it. But you have to find uh, the joy in it through your, you know, your contribution to your team and, and, and not make it and not let the ego take over. Yeah. I kind of think uh, about the scripture in the Bible, uh, uh, come follow me is probably appropriate for a running for a blocking fullback. Fullback, <laughs> yeah. If, if I was good, it would be even better. <laughs> great, great. Yeah. No, good, great perspective. And uh, yeah. uh, well, and Tyler, you talk about obedience and and listening to authority in, in the sports world when you were a youth, and then you wrote this book about fatherhood and the importance of fatherhood. And by the way, for everyone listening, you can get this book at tylerowley.com. That's all one word, Tyler Rowley. Um, but yeah, thank you for writing this book. And what inspired you to do this book for all of us? Uh, so I was, I was actually driving one Friday morning, and I was listening to Relevant Radio. And there was a priest on the radio called Father Gerald Murray, a wonderful faithful priest from the Archdiocese of New York City. And he always, he had a, a Friday morning spot on Relevant Radio for a while. And he was talking about his dad this week because the week before he had buried his father. Um, so he was actually absent from before, but this particular week he was talking all about his dad because he had, he had just been, you know, buried him as the, as the priest. And um, he told this one specific story. He, uh, he said when he was seven years old, and I talk about this story in the book, said when he was seven years old, 
his father was going to work. And all of a sudden he realizes that he's going to mass before work and that he he'd always went to mass before work. And he literally had never known that. He just thought he was going to work every day. He said, dad, you go to church every single day. Said, well, why do you do that? We only have to go on Sunday. What are you doing? What are you going to church every day for? And his dad said, I love to be with Jesus in the Eucharist every day. And, you know, that's like this bomb that goes off to the seven-year-old. It's like, wait, wait a second. You're the strongest and you're the best guy in my life. You're the leader of this family. I look up to you more than anyone. And you wake up early every single day and you go to church. Okay. Like, you know, to a seven-year-old, this is, you know, this is like life changing. You know, the mass is no longer just this family event, you know, that you go to once a week. And it's sort of just like a custom that everyone does in the family. No, all of a sudden this has like deep meaning to him because it has deep meaning to his father. It kind of piques his curiosity, you know, and father Murray will tell you, this is what ultimately leads to him giving his life to the church in the form of a vocation of the priesthood. And the, the first thing I did when I heard that story is I went through this mental Rolodex in my head of all the people I knew, all my family members, all my friends. And I, and I wanted to see where they ended up in their faith as it pertained to their father. And it was like 99% as I was going through all of my, all of the people I knew were like spiritual mirrors of their father. And I just started to think there's got to be, you know, so much, you know, there's got to be so many stories out there like this. Um, I was also instantly thought when I heard that story, I instantly thought of this email that my priest had sent to me years before, and it contained this study that showed the generational transmission of faith as it pertains to mom and dad and how that correlates down to the children. And I talk about that study in the book too. It was a, you know, an official study that was done in, in Switzerland. And it was, I mean, the numbers are just staggering on how much more correlated the children's faith life is to the father. It broke people up into three categories, regular churchgoers, irregular churchgoers, and non-practice. knew the parents' answer to that question, and it knew the children's answer to that question. And the children were just completely correlated to the father being a regular churchgoer. Um so the, I have all these things bouncing around in my head. And I said, you know, I got, I'm just going to start calling people and I'm going to ask them, if, you know, I'm going to tell them the idea for the book. And then the next question out of my mouth is going to be, do you have a relevant story about your father? And nine out of 10 people that I thought of that I knew as, you know, committed Catholics, they said, yeah, I have a relevant story like that. My dad's the reason I'm Catholic. My dad was, you know, a really faithful person. So it was almost like, you know, the whole thesis of the book was proven in my, you know, in the, in the conversations that I had with people that I picked up the phone. Cause if you think about it, I know them as being committed Catholics, but I don't know anything about their fathers. So it's mm-hmm. almost like te- almost the theory as right. I'm calling these people. Um, and some people, you know, couldn't, you know, couldn't write the essay because they didn't have enough time, but even those people, you know, 90% of them said, you know, but if I did have time, yes, I have that relevant story of my father. And very few times is it the other way around. That, that's interesting. And as far as that stat in the, the faith, like you said, in the transmission and in your um, in the forward of your book, in a similar sort of vein, as far as stats go, um, you had said the world's biggest problem is the ruin of the Catholic Church and the church's biggest problem is the ruin of fatherhood. 
And when I read that, I just kept thinking about that one stat about 70% of the people who claim to be Catholic don't believe in the true presence of Christ. And I, I was like wondering, I mean, it might be a good discussion point. Is there some sort of correlation from what you've seen also? Because what you said in the story with Father Murray is that his dad wanted to be with Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I don't know, I just thought I'd throw it out there when I read that, it just jumped out at me. Yeah, no, I I believe that all the, the the lack of faith. I mean, that statistic that you that you throw out that's a that's a popular one that people turn to to sh- sort of show the problems in the Catholic Church, and it's it's a completely relevant and good statistic to prove that. Um, but all the the totality of the lack of faith among children and adults in the Catholic Church is a problem with fatherhood. But th- those are those are those are members of our church that have not been catechized, not because they didn't go to their CCD classes. It's not because their parents didn't take them to church, maybe even every Sunday. It's because after church, when they got home, their father didn't talk about the faith. He didn't pray. He didn't ask them to pray. He didn't talk to them about Christ. He didn't talk to them about apologetics. He didn't talk to them about what it means to be Catholic as opposed to any other Christian denomination. Um, He was a cultural Catholic. And cultural Catholics produce even less cultural Catholic children. Those children produce completely fallen away uh, Catholics who don't even have their children baptized. Um, so yeah, the, the the lack of belief in the, in in Christ and the Eucharist uh, is the same is is the same for the lack of faith in all the other teachings of the Catholic Church, and right. it is because Father is a cultural nominal Catholic, and he does he. He exudes no passion or, or interest in the faith outside of maybe, uh, you know, rolling his eyes and going to church because mom's dragging everybody along. Um, and that has almost an inverse, you know, that almost has a negative And when dad just kind of sort of drags his feet to church and sing, you know, sits there. And, and I, I had one I had one woman um, call me that um, that read my book and she said, you know, she tried so hard to catechize her children, but every single time, like literally she would get the children at the, the dinner table where she would do her catechesis and her husband would make sarcastic remarks about the faith. Wow. Too bad. And her two sons could not think that, you know, think that Catholicism is a joke. I mean, they, they, they have no interest um, in, in the faith and their mother did, you know, everything from, you know, personal instruction, the CCD programs, the Catholic school, but if dad sits there and rolls his eyes, um, you know, I don't into the sociology too much of how this exactly works, but I think we can just sort of, sort of just instinctively recognize how it works. You know, children, there's just, you know, the, the Catholic church just, no, it hasn't been teaching that the father is the head of the household for no reason. There is something by his nature which makes him the the icon of of um, of, of 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 leadership and of faith, and and he's the he's the bridge. The father in the family is the bridge to God the Father, and if and if the daughter and the son don't have that bridge. They have they have no connection to what God is like, and um, and you know Pope Benedict says that, that the family is the icon of the relationship between God and His Church, 
But if you take away the, the, the main stool of that, of that family, just kick that leg out from the stool, the children are, the children are going to fall. Um, and it's sad. And, And that's what I say in the book, you know, yes, fathers lead their children to the faith. You know, they are the ones who pass on that tradition. That's, that's almost like sociologically impossible to, to deny. Um, but what's more important is I ask, I don't, I don't ask the fathers to lead their children to the Catholic faith for no reason. I only ask them to lead their children to the Catholic faith because it is true and it is good for them to lead their children to the Catholic faith. And what I say in the book is I ask fathers to, to think about how they became Catholic. Like every man needs to ask, every Catholic man needs to ask a question of himself. How did I become Catholic? Why was I as a baby baptized? And the answer usually is that because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Catholic men, my my grandfather and my great-great-grandfather and my great-great-great-grandfather, they passed this faith on to me. Now that doesn't make it true. But that, but that gives you the responsibility to make sure that if you're going to give it up, that you better know it's not true. Because if you're going to have a conversation with your great-great-great-grandfather, hey, is your son Catholic? Did you raise your kids in the faith? Oh, no, I gave up the faith. Well, why? Why did you give up the faith? What did you replace it with? And, what, and did you give it up before you even know what it teaches? I mean, that's, that's the true shame in, in all these fallen-away Catholics. If you... If you have conversations with fallen away Catholics, they don't know the first thing about their faith. They give it up for, for, you know, certain, you know, very superficial reasons as a man, man up. And if you're going to, if you're going to be the first person in, you know, 1500 years of your family's lineage to drag your family away from this faith, then do it intentionally and do it as a man, because you're going to tell me that the Catholic faith is not true. Otherwise, Find out if it's true. You know, do do your work um, because you you will be the one responsible for your children and grandchildren having no relationship with Christ, and that means that has eternal ramifications for you for your children, your grandchildren, and yourself. I was going to change subjects here just for a second. I know that you're really involved in, in the pro life movement as a man. Do you find any disadvantages or difficulties or even advantages with being a man and being a pro-life sidewalk counselor? Yeah, that's a good question, Randy. I I think that there are advantages to being a man on the sidewalk, just like I think there's advantages, you know, different advantages to being a woman on the sidewalk. Um, and what does the sidewalk mean? The, you know, the sidewalk is, is, is a term that means trying to get fathers and mothers to not go into Planned Parenthood and have an abortion and turn around, right? Uh, to turn around and go, you know, however you can. So as a man, yeah, I think I have some advantages. You know, the, first of all, sidewalk counseling can be a little bit dangerous. You know, you're usually in a, in a city. Um, not too many people around. Um, I feel completely secure as a man on the sidewalk. I have a confidence that I think may, maybe some women um, lack. And then, and then obviously women, you know, will have an advantage of being able to 
relate a little bit better to the to the woman walking in. Maybe she'll want to hear the voice of a woman, uh, a woman who's been in her shoes before. Maybe a woman who's had an abortion. We have a woman from from Silent No More that, um, you know, that that says you know very very convincing uh, things to the women before they go in. You know, in, in terms of how they regret their abortion. So, like in all things, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to to your gender in in what you're doing. I think the most important lesson, though, is that no one should let, you know, whatever gender they are, keep them from the sidewalk because they don't think that, you know, they're supposed to be doing it. And and the most common objection men will get is that they shouldn't be on the sidewalk because they have an abortion. And that and that argument is is straight from the pit of hell. Um, There is never as a man let anyone uh, tell you that you don't have a say uh, in what in what happens in the fate of an unborn child because you're not a woman. I mean, first of all, it's a it's it's a sexist, bigoted thing to say that, that somehow your um, maleness uh, precludes you from from having a say in the welfare of another human being. It's just outright uh, not true. And, um, and, but I think the reason I, I want to harp on that for a little bit is because I, I really see a lot of men fall prey to that argument. Like they truly, they truly get con- either convinced or intimidated by that argument, uh, especially from other women that, you know, the, the, do you have a uterus argument, you know, and if you don't, you know, you know, stay out of it because you don't know what it's like. I mean, we don't, we don't apply that standard to anything else if you're not part of the group that could potentially be most impacted by a certain event that you can't speak up about it i mean we don't apply that standard to any other topic in our in our cultural life so it doesn't apply to to men to abortion either and i and i would say actually to the contrary that men have a unique obligation to speak out about abortion and to go down to the sidewalk um Men having a duty to protect women and children, you know, is not an outdated uh, cultural cliche. That's, you know, some sort of misogynist thing. You know, that's, you know, these are the arguments of the, the, uh, the radical uh, feminism of today that is, that is so dangerous uh, to our society that makes men feel like, uh, first of all, it, tr- it tries to get rid of all of the differences between men and women. But then when it's convenient, they put down men when they don't want them to, to do things. Um, but men have a unique responsibility and duty to protect women and children. And that goes for the women who are going to be hurt when they walk into a Planned Parenthood, because there's nothing like the regret of you know lost motherhood and the regret of losing a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the, the, the you know the, as long as, as well as the physical ramifications of abortion, and then um, the man has a duty to protect that child that would, no matter how uh, young or old in the womb that child is. Um, so I do I do think that's of special importance that for men not to not to cave to that argument. That was a good answer. Are there any any discouragements in it? In the pro-life battle, and how do you keep the fight? Is it like being a coach of a one in six team? Uh, one in ninety-nine team. <laughs> more, more like it. Um, yeah, no, that that's a reality out there. That you are, if you can't 
handle you know rejection and failure and loss that you're not going to last long as a, a sidewalk supporter that's what we call them um, sidewalk supporters because so it's hard the the reality of sidewalk supporting is that there's a woman who has made a decision and she's not there to to you know see if she wants an abortion She's there to have her abortion that day. And at least that's the way it is in Providence because you don't, you don't even have to have a, um, a referral visit, a, a consultation visit. You can just call up on Monday and have your abortion on Tuesday. So the women who are, go, the women who are going to have their abortions at Planned Parenthood in Providence, they've made their appointment and they're going to have it that day. And so you're, you're, the odds are really stacked against you. You know, they've made the decision. Um, you know, they've gotten the money, you know, they got the boyfriends on board. Um, you know, they've, they've lived their whole life in a culture that tells them that this is a moral decision. There's a whole organization set up right there and, you know, in their city that does this, it, it has the, it has the perception, um, you know, everyone's, you know, you know, everyone's probably told them that, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. This is a clump of cells. It's not going to feel anything. So you're up against a lot. And I always tell people about, about going to the sidewalk, you know, eventually that woman is going to show up that is unsure that she should be there and she's going to keep walking and she's going to keep going through with it. If there's no one there to justify that doubt that's in her mind, that she should... that's the woman, that's the baby that's always saved. It's that woman who, who, who her conscience is, 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 is bothering her. You know, there's something get, forcing her there that sort of she feels is outside of her uh, her control. But there's someone there. It can just be one person, and that person is enough to justify the doubt that she has in her mind, and that gives her the courage and the strength to come out. And and you know that woman does, that woman shows up once every every hundred visits. But you got to be there to catch to catch her and and and, and to make that safe. Um, and and that. That feeling is 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 uh, quite quite amazing. But when when a mom walks out and, and tells you they're keeping their child because of something you said or something you did or just that you were there, or just watching them drive away and you know maybe, and and you just know that save happened. Um, mm. yeah, I'll answer that. That was great. Would yeah. you tell us a little bit about your your group, Servants of Life? For yeah, everyone everyone has a with that with that name it's servants of christ for life um and our, our logo is, is a shield with the holy family on it and we try and be servants of christ um as it pertains to the pro-life message but really all you know we'll, we'll we're happy to get involved in any cultural issue that's you know happening in rhode island that you know that that we can we can sort of invoke a, a catholic perspective on but our, our main thrust of involvement is the pro-life movement, and and our main thrust within the pro-life movement is is sort of being a um, a guide um, and an encouragement to getting people to go to the sidewalk and sort of knowing you know sort of knowing the ins and outs of how the abortion industry is working and when they're doing abortions and when we can get people out there and the best you know we hold seminars on on. Um, teaching people how to how to sidewalk counsel. You know, we hold events at the state house. We, you know, we get people to testify in front of in, in front of um, the general assembly in Rhode Island about abortion bills. So, you know, anything political, anything that has to do with um, sidewalk, and if, you know, we use the 
use media to get our message of the pearl servant. So we'll so we sort of kind of go anywhere and do anything as it pertains to uh, the fight for life, as it pertains to you know the Catholic understanding of of what that means. Great, great, great organization. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so Pope Francis named Saint Joseph. I think we have the year of Saint Joseph, and uh, we wanted to ask you who. Who inspires you in your life? And and Saint Joseph, we've got to put him in there, right? He's such a role model for fathers. Yeah, I dedicated uh, the book because of our fathers is dedicated to Saint Joseph. And in, in the very beginning of the book, I talk about how you know you have you have the the incarnation of of, of Christ. You know the the most you know, the most incredible moment in human history we'll celebrate in a week, you know, um, well, more specifically at the, at the Annunciation, um, this event happens, and then what God is most concerned about, you know, his first concern after uh, the conception of Christ in Mary's womb is to provide Jesus with the Father, and I, I just remember just sort of having this this reflection on that, and I that's that's kind of amazing that, you know, if ever there was a family who didn't need the male figure in the household? Right. Would be, you know, be our blessed mother and our Lord. But it's the first thing that God is concerned about is to provide Jesus with a father. And why is that? Um, because that, because Jesus needed a father. And and if Jesus needed a father, you know, how much more do you and I need our fathers? Um, and that's really the book is that fatherhood is essential to the thriving of the human person uh, because that is the, that is the that is the the, the relationship the, the the mother father children relationship that's the icon of the relationship of god and his people um so every father would do well to reflect on that, that wow mm-hmm. to uh for the, the for the holy family you know how much more am i needed for my family um, how, how much more do my children need me? Um, so that's why I dedicated the book to St. Joseph. And I just think St. Joseph is just a fascinating figure to reflect on. You know, the, you know, for me, for me, the St. Joseph sort of is illuminated once Mary is, is illuminated. You know, you know, every Catholic has this journey in which Mary's, you know, it becomes increasingly more, um, amazing you know this is this is you know protestants have this view of mary like well she was just a you know she was a girl and god chose her and he could have chose anybody and that's not that's not the catholic view at all mary mary's holiness and her uh, her obedience to the word of god is what prepares her for the conception of christ you know so it's not just that she was chosen it's that through her obedience she becomes the Theotokos. She she becomes the mother of God through the person that she is, so so obedient to the word of God. And once that becomes clear, how her holiness prepared her to be chosen by God, um, sort of the same thing happens with St. Joseph, that in, the, in, in, in a similar way, his holiness prepared him to be chosen by God, to be the father of God, you know, it's, I mean, you can, 
just repeat those words over and over in your head and that you know that'll be a good prayer chosen to be the father of god you know and that'll illumine you know who mary is and who and who joseph is and um there was an original question before you got to say, oh, people who inspire me. Is that, is that what you yeah. asked? Yeah. yeah, it was part of it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So certainly St. Joseph and all, you know, all the saints. I love, I love to learn about the saints and I get a lot of inspiration um, from the saints. But I, honestly, I mean, guy, you know, guys like you, you know, Paul, Jeff, Randy, all these guys, um, you know, that I meet online and people who are doing work in my church. And whenever you, you know, whenever I meet anyone in the church who's using their time and their talent, to spread the faith, you know, that honestly gives me the motivation to do the same thing. I think that's how human beings uh, feed off one another. And it's, and it's a lot like a sports team, you know, you get, you know, if, if people are start, start to quit, you know, you have less enthusiasm. If you see some guy on the team who's, you know, who's rallying people and he's never quitting and he's doing all the extra work after practice, that encourages you more like that. So I look for, you know, those teammates, um, who are doing the extra work and if they can do it, you know, then I can do it. You know, I can be, I can be, I can be a good guy, good teammate, uh, like him. You know, I just have to put in the work. Um, so honestly, guys like you and guys, you know, there's so, there's so many different people all across the country. It's one of the things I just, you know, the blessing of the, you know, today, the world that we live in, you get to know, know about so many different people and authors and, and people are doing great things and starting groups in their churches and all different forms of catechesis that people are doing. Um, I love that stuff. And I think we need, we need a lot more of it and it reaches people. I mean, this is, I, you know, if I think if St. Paul were alive, you know, he'd have a podcast and he'd have a website <laughs> and, he, and he, and he would find any way he could to, to reach people. Um, and I think that's what we have to do. We, have, you know, and, you know, recognize our own limitations and our own weaknesses. Um, and, you know, being, and people, you know, people who, who suffer, um, patiently, you know, always are, are people who, who have always inspired me, you know, people who I know, you know, they're, you know, are treated unjustly, but they, you know, they have a smile on their face and they do it for God. Um, those types of people always inspire me as well. Awesome. Great. Well, well likewise, uh, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, um, obviously the notion of the family has been splintered uh, in the secular world but even into the Catholic world with divorce and whatnot. What, what do you say to someone who maybe had, did not have a father figure at all in their life? Uh, maybe they grew yeah. up when their mother raised them. Personally, that's my situation is I, I had a father that was distant, that wasn't religious. Uh, I, I rarely saw him. Uh, what, what, what kind of advice do you give to people like that you could come across? Sure. One piece of advice would be this, that the, the message of my book, you know, at least, at least a good part of it, is that fatherhood is the key to evangelizing children, right? I believe that. I believe that, that, that that's why I wrote the book, because I believe it's the most practical, um, the most practical thing Catholics can do is to get that as fathers, they are the ones who are going to bring up Catholic children. But ha having said that, if there's a, if there's a, a, a kid or a young adult or anyone who didn't have a good father upbringing, they need to 
they need to hear that message just as much because that will trigger in their mind that maybe I am the way that I am. Maybe I have sort of a, um, you know, I, I have an aversion to religion and all things Christian and all things Catholic because I had a bad relationship with my father or I had no father in the household. So bringing this to light can make people kind of self-reflect and say, and, and, I, and I think this is true for anything in life. Like our parents have deeply profound impacts on us in all facets of life, how we relate to people, how our religion, uh, how we did in school, what we chose to do as a career. So I think in in everything it would be it, it's a it's a good psychological practice. What kind of effect did my parents have on me? You know, some of it was you know positive, but maybe I, maybe these bad things that I do, or the you know, or these things that I'm not too proud of, or these things that I need to work on, maybe that's you know a little harmful effect that I received from my parents. And if you can sort of get you know a, a person who has an aversion to the faith. Um, maybe get them to see that a father is by nature, by God's design, the father is the bridge to the earthly father is the bridge to God, the father. And if you can get him to kind of see that, then maybe he'll consider the fact that he should consider the truths of Catholicism. If he can recognize that the earthly father is the bridge to God, the father, and then he, you know, he obviously will know that he didn't have this earthly father relationship. Then that sort of opens up the door to him needing to investigate the truths of, of Christianity on their own merits and not just based on, you know, his parental upbringing. Um, so that's kind of the point. I think, I think, you know, the message of this book needs to be conveyed to those people. And, and I think I talked about this book there are there you know in our culture today there are so many children growing up today without the father in the household i mean we have we have a we have a national crisis on our hands not just you know that one part of you know my book talks about fathers who who you know are good fathers in the earthly sense but they don't pass on the faith to their children but then in, in a whole other conversation are all the children growing up without a father in the household at all they're not even good earthly fathers um, so they're, they're going to have, they're not just going to have the spiritual complications. They're going to have all the, the earthly complications, you know, of dropping out of school and um, suicidal thoughts and drug use and poverty and all that. Um, and I just think as Catholic men, we need to, re we need to recognize how damaging it is for children to have no father and to, and if we, if we come across a, a, a person like that, a young person like that, try and take up the mantle as a good as a good role model for them um, whether it's as a coach or a, a mentor or the big brother program or welcome them in to you know to be a to be a friend of your children um you just got to recognize that you know if if you meet a kid who didn't have a dad in the household um that kid is in you know he's he's way set back in life and he needs a man to teach him how to be a man um, is that, I mean, that's what we get from our father, right? When the father's not there, these questions fester in a child's mind, you know, who am I, who am I supposed to be? Uh, I mean, imagine not knowing your dad at all, like literally never meeting him and just being raised solely 
by your mother. You know, what, especially a son is just going to have such a lack of understanding of who he's supposed to grow up to be. What is he supposed to do with his life? Why did my dad leave? Why didn't my dad love me? Um, this is a, you know, this is a painful existence for a lot of children. So we got to try and do our best, you know, um, to, to try and, you know, to, to take those children and, and give and show them the love of the father that, you know, their worth doesn't depend on the sins of their father, but their worth depends on, you know, the mercy and the grace of, of our, our true father. Great. Um, one last thing I want to ask you, and uh, it, just breaking it down to how things happen around the household uh, for you, Mr. Rowley, and your family, uh, I kind of was thinking uh, along the lines of you have a job and a role as a head coach, right, of the Rowley household. What kind of things do you uh, encourage your kids, and, and how do you help them uh, with their uh, athletic activities, and how has how, how that uh, molded uh, you and... and, and sure. uh, yeah, no, it play it plays a big role. I can send you guys a, I can text you a video of your old son. He has the purest right-handed baseball swing you've ever seen in your life. Oh, and, I mean, we, I mean, we rep, you know, wiffle ball uh, pitches in probably an hour a day, and I, I do that with him because I experience firsthand. The, the, the benefit, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the show, the benefits of working hard, of, you know, working through, you know, the sufferings of working hard in sports, um, getting good at something that gives you, you know, the confidence to be a leader. Um, so I want that for him, you know, and, and, and he, you know, he seems to have a, a natural, uh, at least my, my five-year-old right now, a natural sort of um, coordination, athletic ability. So I'm going to as a father, I'm going to try and use, you know, his talents and, you know, within reason, I'm not going to blisters every single day and, and work right. with that, but, <laughs> right. um, within reason, I'm going to try and use um, his athletic ability um, to, to grow closer to God. Um, and that, that's ultimately what, you know, what sports did for me. And I want, I want that for him too. And just, you know, and just the joy of life, like sports was just, you know, just purely, joyful and brought me so much happiness and that's such a big you know as catholics we don't shy away from that we like you know we like uh good food and we like good sports and we like you know we like having a good time and there's not there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and that's what sports did for me it brought me a lot of, a lot of friendships um and some of the best times of my life um came through sports so in terms of sports you know that's that's kind of a little bit of what what i'm doing with the kids right now and then um you know, every night, you know, I, I tuck my five-year-old and my two-year-old into their bunk beds. And right before I leave, you know, I get down on my knees and we say in our father. And, mm. and honestly, I mean, if I did nothing else, you know, I would, I think that that example of, you know, the, the, the strongest guy in their life getting on his knees and, you know, sort of bowing in submission to something that he knows is far greater than him. Um, I just, I think that has, um, huge, huge benefits to their, their understanding of, of who God is. And, um, you know, we found, I, I believe in, you know, finding a good parish that, uh, you know, teaches the, teaches the faith the right way. You know, we go to, we go to a fraternal society of St. Peter parish and I have no, you know, I have no, uh, uh, worries that, 
you know they're going to get anything but the, the fullness of the faith through the through the families uh, in that parish and the priests and, and the whole community so those are just some of the things i do you know we pray and we talk about jesus icons around the house we talk about who jesus is we don't shy away from it we're not embarrassed by it um you know we go to we go to church when we should and um and we talk about it it's just a, it's, it's a part of our life and I think a big part of, you know, what fathers lack is sort of a confidence in talking about this uh, with their kids, you know, because they're not catechized themselves. And it just, it's a, it's a snowball effect. And so, and, and, you know, the, the man has to, has to say, I catechize well, you know, this is, I know what direction this is going in. And my child is going to lose the faith completely. And you got to make a decision. Do you want that to happen? Or do you want your, your child to have a relationship with God? So... Awesome. Very, very well said. Uh, uh, great role as a father, and uh, we just will we'll continue to pray for you and your family and your role as, in in fatherhood, which is what we're here talking about the, this afternoon and this evening. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I really great. appreciate it. Great time. Great. I can't believe that blew by. Was that forty-five minutes? Or <laughs> we go over a <laughs> little bit over, a little bit over, that's but okay. that's fine. All no, all good. Everything, uh, you know. Yeah. Super. I'm sure you can yeah. find plenty to cut out of there. <laughs> <laughs> no. All good. No, too much good. It's all good. Yeah, thank Paul, you. For the, on yeah, Paul, would you like to close out? And, uh, uh, Randy, actually. Randy will do, oh, Randy will do that. Go ahead. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Yeah. Lord, we thank you for Tyler, and we thank you for his ministry. We pray for... Uh, all the fathers of all the world, that they would step up and learn from Jesus and learn from the, the Almighty Father about the importance of being a father and, and, and passing that role down to their families and to their children. We pray for the, um, the mothers and the fathers who are contemplating. Uh, having an abortion we pray that the holy spirit would in, intervene in their lives and that they would experience your love and make a make a decision for life and as always we pray we pray for the intercession of the blessed virgin mary hail mary full of grace the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary, Mother, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now, now at the hour of our, our death. death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Okay. I bless you and Merry Christmas, Tyler. Uh, yeah, yes. Merry Christmas, guys. Let me know if you ever need anything. All right. Thank you very much. Same to you.